Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... COVID-19, how many times have we said that? It still dominates the news cycle. Obviously, you know what the answer is. It's vaccination. There you have it. And COVID-19 remains the big news story. But what else? And what will be the major stories besides COVID-19 in 2022? I'll chat this up with Crystal Dixon from Axios Atlanta and Dan Wisenhunt from Decaturish.com. Also, millions of kids did not receive their routine vaccinations last year due to the pandemic. So what are the potential health implications because of that? All those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first, this speaking of COVID-19, the State Department of Public Health is urging Georgians to take steps to slow the spread of the virus during, yes, this upcoming holiday. In a release sent out yesterday, the agency says new infections are increasing daily, driven, of course, by the highly transmissible Omicron variant. Now, DPH says getting vaccinated and boosted. I know y'all keep hearing us say that, but we can't say it enough. Wearing masks in public settings and getting tested before attending gatherings. What will it do? It can help slow the spread. Now, Consider how all this started and how we got to where we are now, particularly on a global scale. This was something that Dr. Anthony Fauci talked about this week when he spoke to the National Press Club's Headliners Virtual Newsmaker event. We went from virtually no cases at all in January of 2020 to now this has emerged as the most important and impactful pandemic of respiratory disease in well over 100 years with about 275 million cases and over 5 million deaths globally. Governor Brian Kemp and Georgia Attorney Chris Carr say the state has filed a lawsuit challenging the Biden administration's vaccine and masking mandate for the federal preschool preschool readiness program called Head Start. Now, the mandate took effect November 30th and requires all Head Start staff to be fully vaccinated by January 31st. It also mandates Head Start children two years or older wear masks. Georgia has joined a dozen of other states in the lawsuit. In other news, a judge is blocking a South Georgia county from buying land to build a commercial spaceport. Now, earlier this week, the Federal Aviation Administration gave Camden County the go-ahead to build a site for launching rockets. But some residents, unhappy with the spaceport, want the plan to go to voters to get their approval. According to the news site The Current, a Superior Court judge has now issued a temporary restraining order so the county can't buy the property. Another hearing is scheduled for next month. Stay tuned. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is supporting a plan to add Juneteenth as a mandatory holiday for state employees. Lawmakers are likely to consider it after they convene in January. 
President Joe Biden signed a law earlier this year making Juneteenth a federal holiday. The holiday marks when some enslaved black folks in Texas became among the last in Confederacy to learn they had actually been freed. If you plan to maybe partake in a little bit of eggnog that has a little bit of something extra in it, well, AAA says hold on before you get behind the wheel or think about doing it. They're bringing back its tow-to-go program for the holidays. It's offering up free rides to impaired drivers from 6 p.m. Friday, December 24th through 6 a.m. Monday, January 3rd. The service is free, even if you're not a AAA member, and it offers a ride within 10 miles to one face mask person at a time. And finally, say it isn't so. One of my favorite places, an Atlanta fast food staple is closing one of its locations after nearly six decades. There are reports that Zesto will permanently close its restaurant at the intersection of Moreland and McClendon Avenue. That's in a little five points, little five points neighborhood after 58 years in operation. The restaurant has been closed since May when a tree fell on the building and Zesto's first opened in Atlanta and Buckhead back in 1949. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. Here's what we know. For adults, the COVID-19 pandemic has interrupted millions of our annual physicals, wellness visits, and other routine medical appointments. But what about for the kids? A report published this past summer from the World Health Organization and UNICEF revealed 23 million children missed out on basic vaccines through routine immunization services in 2020. And this was 3.7 million more than in 2019. Here in the U.S., it's estimated, based on a survey, 40 percent of parents say their children miss their routine vaccines in 2020. And this is alarming, especially for children of color, those in low-income households, and rural communities. Let's talk about this. I'm joined now by Dr. Zakiba Henderson, the Senior Vice President and Interim Chief Medical and Health Officer for the March of Dimes, and she leads the Office of Maternal and Child Health Impact. Dr. Henderson, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin here because I'm curious, pre-pandemic, given an overall estimate or assessment, rather, of the routine vaccination gap among children, uh, what particular groups are we talking about here? Well, uh, you, you mentioned that there definitely has been a problem during the pandemic. We've noticed that um, vaccinations overall have been down. Um, when you look at the Vaccine for Children's program, um, vaccination has been down by 11.7 million doses compared to 2019. And also on recent data from Blue Cross Blue Shield, they noticed that 40% of parents and uh, caregivers say that their children missed 
vaccinations due to, to the pandemic. Um, there is further data to show that, that these uh, decreases in vaccination are, are not being seen equally across all groups. Mm -hmm. um, most importantly, um, unfortunately, despite the resources that are available for families who can't afford vaccines, um, children that are below the poverty line who are eligible for these resources um, receive the recommended vaccines much at a much lower rate than children who um, are above the poverty line, 62% versus 75%. Um, we also you notice disparities when you look at um, those who are insured versus are uninsured and mm -hmm. less than half of children with no insurance receive the full series of recommended vaccines. And then when you even look at across, across race and ethnicity, there is a clear disparity there with black children and Hispanic children, children being the least likely to receive the recommended vaccines. Um, we, we are very much engaged with what's happening with this COVID pandemic, but some of the uh, extended consequences of this pandemic includes protection from some of these very common childhood illnesses. Someone listening may say, well, is this Dr. Henderson, a, could we correlate this to lack of access? You mentioned those who are uninsured or underinsured, but at the core of this, are we just talking about lack of access to, for quality healthcare? Overall, we hear this for adults. So imagine it's the same for our youngest population, simply beginning with access. Yeah. Yes, access is, is definitely an issue. There, there are multiple important barriers that we have to consider um, with this problem. Of course, access is an issue. Unfortunately, despite the fact, as I mentioned, there are programs like the Vaccine for Children's program that are available for those who can't afford vaccines. There's still issues about um, access to vaccination services. Some people just don't have a provider. Um, so there are still issues around you know, financial challenges outside of just paying for the vaccine. Um, missed vaccination opportunities. Providers may not even mention to families that you know, they're up for a vaccine or that they've missed um, vaccines. And then there's the big barrier that we're dealing with also during this pandemic, and that is vaccine hesitancy. Mm -hmm. There's still issues around trust and fear around uh, the safety of vaccines. And that doesn't just you know, uh, mean for the COVID vaccine, but also for other vaccines as well. Actually, I've got two emails already, but I want to get this one out because a, a listener says, well, if kids were being, I'm going to read this, if kids were then being ho uh, homeschooled or they were virtual learners, then does that put them at a lower risk? And maybe that's why some parents chose not to get a vaccine, get their kids vaccinated. Could that also be an issue or a factor? Um, I'm not sure if that's a factor. There aren't any current studies that show that, but Despite the fact that some people have been staying at home, the gap in immunization coverage, it still puts many families and communities at risk for preventable diseases. Diseases like measles, mumps, rubella, and influenza. Like we've, we're starting to forget that the flu is still around and that it still causes complications and even death um, in children and in families. So um, staying home is not the answer. Well, if we know this, we're hearing reports that millions of kids missed their routine vaccinations from last year due to the pandemic. And this is, has been something that's been going on for a while. Then where do we begin to address it? And I know that's a question that for a lot of folks like you and, and folks, when folks like me ask that question about, okay, solutions, you know, when we, we, we want to bring these, uh, close the gaps or these disparities on it or inequities, whatever you want to call them. So where do we begin to address it? First of all, you know, I, I, 
have to encourage healthcare providers because there are studies that clearly show that people are more likely to be vaccinated when prompted by their health care provider and when they receive the information that they need to make um, their the best decision around vaccination. Um, aside from just healthcare providers really putting out the call and helping to remind families about missed vaccinations, it's important for families to have the information they need so they feel secure, feel safe, and trust that they're making the right decision to be vaccinated. So making sure that families reach out to reliable sources of information. Um, I, I would like to point people to our website at March of Dimes, www.marchofdimes.org forward slash vaccines, where you can get reliable information. You can also go to the Centers for Disease Control website to get information to help you make those decisions. And then lastly, to remind people that there are resources there that are available. So uh, people may not know about the Vaccines for Children's program and to know that there are many families who are eligible to get these vaccines. That was my next call. question, Dr. Henson, because for a lot of folks, they don't have a primary care physician, so they don't have a health provider. And they may not even know where to know where to turn to. You were talking about vaccines for kids. Some folks listening probably didn't even know that that program even existed. Exactly. So we want to get the word out about that program. And and as I mentioned, you can get more information about the vaccines for children's program at our website. Um, I would hate for people to miss out on a potential life saving um, life saving uh, intervention because they just weren't aware of what's available to them. Let's go over those routine vaccinations. You mentioned the measles. And I remember I'll use myself as an example here. I remember getting the the chicken pox and <laughs> you know you got to stay home from school but you know you always got the uh, measles and what was it rubella and and what are the little the the shot with the four little dots and they put a circle around my producers are looking at me because they think I'm old but you remember that they used to give you the few used what was a tb yes. shot a tb test that was yeah that was actually the tb test yeah the, so the sure schools used to make sure mm-hmm. you all do they the schools what role can they play in this are they do they not do that anymore well, schools do have healthcare providers. Most schools have healthcare providers there. They have school nurses. They often see kids. Well, not all things. schools have a nurse now. <laughs> that's true. Some schools don't. Exactly. They don't. Um, but for those that do, that's why I said I'm putting a call out to, you know, healthcare providers across the spectrum, uh, including, you know, nurses, physicians, um, nurses, aides, community health workers. There are many people that are part of this team to help us remind families of the importance of vaccination. So let's go over those routine vaccinations that we're talking about that kids have, have potentially missed from last year. What, what are they? You mentioned measles. Well, the one I would like to mention first and top of the list is influenza. Mm-hmm. And to remind people that the flu is still around um, and that influenza can, can definitely cause severe illness. Um, I recently had a conversation with one of our patient advocates who lost her son at age five to influenza, and people may not realize that that is a risk. Um, Then, of course, some of those diseases that you don't see as frequently anymore because vaccines work. Um, Diseases like measles, Mm -hmm. um, mumps, rubella, whooping cough. Um, all of those diseases that you don't see as commonly because these vaccines have been so effective at preventing them. Uh, I want to read uh, another uh, question from an email here who says, well, is it too much to have all these vaccines given to my child right now who is six years old? No, if, if it's if it's the time and if it's on schedule, um, I, you know, feel free to talk to your provider to, you know, get more information about each of the vaccines that are 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 scheduled to be given. Um, but 
very often vaccines are given multiple vaccines at a time um, and it has been safe. And if there are any concerns around that, please ask questions and um, get the information you need to to keep your children safe. And we want to stress that although you are an expert in, in this, but we encourage everyone to speak to their health provider or their primary care physician. If you don't have one, again, you know, we will have information on our website. And again, you can probably start with your local county department of health as well for more information. Are you still having conversations? And I, I imagine you are then, Dr. Henderson, about mm-hmm. the, the, the trust factor and, and hesitancy. And, and what are those conversations like that you have with, with parents and particularly um, parents of color? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the trust issues are around vaccines, what potential complications they can cause, um, worry around the vaccines causing the infections themselves, Mm -hmm. um, especially knowing that some vaccines have for example, a live virus, which is a weaker virus that helps stimulate the immune system that may scare some people thinking that they may actually get the infection. But the most common fear, especially for influenza vaccination, interestingly, is the fear of getting the infection from the vaccine. And I mm-hmm. want to dispel that myth right away. You cannot get the infection from the vaccine. Um, the vaccines were designed to specifically get your immune re- response to target that that um, illness, and it will not give you the illness itself. Um, especially since people during the winter time often get or late fall get their influenza vaccine, they may already have been exposed to an, a respiratory infection already. And if they develop symptoms around the time that they get vaccinated, they automatically associate the, their symptoms with having been vaccinated. So I just want to encourage people to know that you will not get the illness from from the vaccine. We know of the measles outbreak. I believe that was out in, in the northwest part of the portion of the United States a couple of years ago, or I have to think now a couple of years ago, um, with, the, with the measles outbreak. What are the implications here if we continue to see another year that goes by where we have millions of kids who are not getting their routine vaccinations? And we're already still dealing with COVID now. Yeah, you mentioned one of the implications. You're going to see a rise in some of those infections that we haven't seen. Um, and, you know, I'm really proud of the, the legacy of March of Dimes. We've been fighting for the lives of moms and babies for over 80 years now. And I don't know if you're familiar, but our organization started with support around the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. And vaccines are effective. Do you see polio in our country? No, because that vaccine was so effective. And I think it's important for families to um, believe the science, believe the data, and to protect their families and to know that communities and families are still at risk. And we're going to see a rise in some of those less common infections if vaccination rates continue to drop. And as we wrap up, Dr. Henson, I've asked everyone this question now. Where do you hope we are a year from now, not only with COVID-19, but then also since you've been on the program to talk about just the routine vaccinations for kids? Well, I I can't end our conversation without stressing the importance of vaccination against COVID-19 as well. Um, And for people to realize that, especially those at high risk, um, we talk about children, but we can't forget our moms, pregnant moms, and recently pregnant moms are also at extreme risk for poor complications of COVID. And to really stress the fact that these vaccines do work and there is considerable data to show its safety. And I just wanna encourage families to protect themselves, especially as you're planning to gather over this holiday season to make sure that you and your family members are protected. Dr. Zakiba Henderson is the Senior Vice President 
an interim chief medical and health officer for March of Dimes. She also leads the Office of Maternal and Child Health Impact. We've been talking about the report that revealed millions of kids missed their routine vaccinations last year due to the pandemic. And for more information, we'll have links to all those resources that you listed, Dr. Henderson. We'll have them on our website as well. Thank you so much for the information. Thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you too. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR, amplifying voices. I'm Rose Scott. We're going to talk about COVID-19 again. Well, we're going to talk about it again, but in a different light. We're going to talk about how it still dominates the news cycle like this. It means that it is vital for everyone to get vaccinated and boosted if they are eligible. Given the increase in transmissibility, this also means continuing to be vigilant about masking in public indoor settings in areas of substantial or high community transmission. Well, COVID-19 is the big news story, y'all, for 2021. It continues. But what else? And what will be the major stories besides COVID-19 in 2022? Well, I always enjoy when fellow journalists drop by and joining me now is Crystal Dixon. She is one of three journalists who write for the Daily Axios Atlanta newsletter. Before that, you may have recognized her byline because she spent two and a half years at the AJC covering Cobb County and education. And from our content partner, Decatur's.com, still has one of the cutest kids ever in JP, founder and editor, Dan Wisenhunt. Thank you both for taking the time. Happy holidays. Thanks, Rose. Happy holidays. Dan, I see stockings hung by the chimney with care as I look at you during the, through this. Zone. I should have a I should have a pipe, you know, I should have a pipe and a, and a glass of uh, whiskey, you know, and uh, I should be reading a story of some sort. I'd where's your elf? Where's your elf on the shelf? We, we don't do the elf on the shelf thing. I don't know. That's that's just that's too much work for our family. <laughs> too much thought. Crystal, what you see is what it is. Where's your elf on the shelf? I am not into elf on the shelf as well. So that is something that is not in my daily routine. <laughs> Y'all are some old boring journalists. Not just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin here. Uh, 2021. And, and look, COVID-19 has been the, it continues to be the news story of, of the last two years. I mean, Dan, it is what it is, right? I mean, it is what it is. It's it's like, you know, I, I kind of compare it to a hurricane, you know, in, in news, there are these big news events like hurricanes, you know, where it's all hands on deck, DEFCON 4, you got every, except this hurricane has gone on for two years now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, with, with no ends in sight. And so part of the, and I'm sure Crystal can speak to this as well, but I, I think part of the problem is how do you, you manage that mm-hmm. and and keep covering that while also taking care of yourself mentally uh because it is it it beats down on you mentally you know seeing a thousand people die a day uh that's that's rough uh and, it, and it's hard to look at that and then it's hard to even have the days where it's it's only 500 and then you think oh well at least it's only 500 people today mm-hmm. and then you're like why wait why is that a good thing you know it's 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 very hard to 
to compress and compartmentalize all of these tragedies that are happening uh, on a daily basis and still maintain your empathy. And, and Crystal, even if you have a beat, so to speak, listen, this pandemic has impacted all the beats, sports, weather, what have you. I mean, there, it's been at the intersection of pretty much any issue, any topic, any beat that we as journalists have been covering. That's right. Um, I covered education for two and a half years with the, edu- with the AJC and um, with education, COVID-19 really exposed a lot of inequities that the school systems have been dealing with. Um, we saw there are families who weren't able to consistently log on um, remotely to continue their lessons. And you had school districts having to use, um, I guess, employee resources trying to track those students down and mm-hmm. making sure that they're staying on top of their lessons. And we also saw, um, I guess, you know, you know, in Cobb County, we had at least uh, there were at least three educators who passed away. And that sort of exposed for some educators the risk that educators have when it comes to teaching in the classroom um, and at that time when students weren't able to get vaccinated. So it also opened up a lot of um, conundrums that educators face when they're um, trying to carry out their daily duties of educating students. I'm I'm curious, Crystal, I'll start with you. I'll stay with you for for this. uh, With your fellow journalists, whether it was at the AJC or even now with Axios, have you all talked about, okay, how do we cover this? Are we covering it too much? When do we take a break? What seems, what do you all follow in terms of when there needs to be a story or even just through your own personal lens? How would you approach, when do we need to cover something related to the pandemic, COVID-19? And when do we just maybe pass on this one? Well, I think for um, me personally, uh, at the start of the pandemic, we were covering um, every time someone, I guess, tested positive in a certain place and they had to shut things down. I think that's become the norm for so many people that doing those kind of stories every time someone tests positive and the place having to close, um, we've had to sort of shift away from that and sort of focus on the larger picture. Um, I guess we talk about vaccine hesitancy, uh, why people, why there are certain segments of the population who still are not wearing masks. Um, we're having to sort of shift to those um, people-centric stories to sort of get into the mindset of why, I guess, why we're still dealing with this nearly, you know, two years on. Mm-hmm. Dan, what about you? What's been your approach? And as someone who is very, who's hyper-local as well, uh, what's been your approach to covering this? Well, we used to do a daily COVID-19 report uh, where we would publish the numbers every single day, seven mm-hmm. days a week. Then we switched to a weekly and it, it was always a chore. It was always something that I wasn't quite sure was useful to readers or not. But but for a while there, I was concerned the government would lie about it. So I wanted to keep the receipts uh, just in case uh, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a, an internal discussion about when we would stop the weekly reports. And our metric was when the vaccines became av- available for the 5 to 11-year-olds. You know, that was the biggest, most vulnerable population that was going to be in, a, in an environment where they would potentially come into contact with COVID. So in my mind, or maybe I was just being naive, but I thought, well, you know, now we're starting to turn a corner. The kids can get these vaccines. We could start to go on with our lives. And it's just whiplash. Mm -hmm. It's just been whiplash with this Omicron stuff. It's, it's, you know, we've had to reopen that discussion. Do we bring the reports back again? You know, what, what form do we do that? So I, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but, you know, we didn't talk about covering years long pandemics at any length 
in journalism school. That was just not right. something that, yeah, no, that we, came up. We didn't have that either. <laughs> no, we didn't yeah. either. <laughs> so, you know, any any journalist that tells you they have a sense of how this is supposed to happen and is totally lying. No journalist has a clue about any of this. Uh, we're, we're kind of building the airplane as we're flying it. I remember we used to, here on Closer Look, every day we would give the hospitalizations, new infections, the deaths. We did it every day. And I remember getting an email from a couple emails from listeners said, I don't want to hear this. And But then I got a very I got a voicemail from a listener who said, you know what? I don't have access to the Internet. I don't have cable. So I listened to you all and the wonderful reporting that Sam Whitehead was doing as our health reporter and our other WABE reporters. So the information was, was crucial. And so we kept doing it. And then I think once the vaccines came online, we sort of lessened that. But then, you know, this, the the topic is, the discussion is now, do we go back because of, you know, Omicron? Do we start doing this again? And that's kind of what our job is, to disseminate credible news and information. Right, Crystal? Right. And we have to remember that um, not everyone is as plugged in as we are. So we have to remember that some people... Um, only get bits and pieces of information on social media. So it's on us as journalists to make sure we're giving them the numbers that that they need to make a decision on whether or not uh, to go out or whether or not um, they want to host gatherings, which, you know, I guess right now we probably shouldn't be doing that right now. But, you know, I think it's on us to sort of, you know, provide that information for people. As you said, one of your readers said, um, they don't have cable. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they only just get their only get their news on the radio. So, we have to meet people where they are and get them that information that they need to make informed decisions. Dan, what do you think? I agree. Um, I feel like the numbers in and of themselves only tell part of the story. You know, there's a whole lot with Omicron that we just don't know yet. We don't know if it's, if it is in fact less or more lethal than Delta or any of the previous versions, or if we're benefiting from having more vaccinated people than we did that that's, you know, we're in a different place. I think that's part of where I struggle with it is this isn't March of 2020. We're mm-hmm. in a radically different place. We know a lot more about uh, the virus. We have vaccines now. We know a lot more about which mitigation measures work and don't work. And if this is going to be the norm going forward, then I think we've got to throw out the old playbook and come up with a new playbook because we cannot shut down society every time something like this happens. We just can't. There are people who are never going to recover financially from the first time we shut it down. There are kids who are never going to be where they're supposed to be in school because of what happened. So we've got to come up with some other kind of plan. And that's the part that distresses me right now is I feel like the guidance we're getting is all over the place and it it contradicts itself and it and it's outdated. And that's that's really what I want to hear from the CDC. That's what I want to hear from the president. That's what I want to hear from anybody who's involved in planning our response to this. Well, is what is the new playbook? Well, let me ask you, Stan, when you were covering this, you obviously reported numbers from the CDC, the Georgia Department of Public Health. That's where you turn to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the ones that, as and they are imperfect. Nobody is perfect. I mean, I think if we all learned anything, is that nobody is infallible and nobody is perfect, because if we didn't know that already... Uh, The CDC is not, you know, you can point to any number of things the CDC did in hindsight and say, well, they shouldn't have told people not to wear masks early on. Well, they shouldn't have told people to stop wearing masks in the summer. 
I mean, we're, we're doing the, we're all doing the best we can. We are all trying to make this work. None of us signed up for any of this. Um, but I do feel like we know a lot more now uh, and we need to, you know, we need to get to a point where, okay, if somebody is boosted and vaccinated, you know, and, and they get this, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a reason to shut down a whole business. You know, I don't, I'm not paid enough to come up with those guidelines, but I, I do think we need to start thinking about that because otherwise, you know, look at all the restaurants that shut down, mm-hmm. you know, within the last week, because they had a member in the back of the house get COVID. I mean, we can't, we can't do that over and over and over. It's just not tenable. The voice you hear is Dan Wisenhunt. He is the founder and editor of Decaterish.com, also our content partner here at WABE. And I'm also joined by Crystal Dixon, who is a journalist who is with the Daily Axios Atlanta newsletter. Let me ask you this, uh, Dan. How did this covering all this, did it impact your bottom line? As Because you're a local independent news outlet. Did you, uh, did, did, how did COVID impact what you are doing as, as a business owner? I got, I mean, I got all kinds of uh, government money, you know, in 2020, you know, well, good, there was this good for you, Dan, because a lot of folks didn't. <laughs> I know that I, I feel very lucky, but you know, there was a city of Decatur grant I was able to get, which is funny because, you know, I, I, I grief city of Decatur all the time, but you know, they gave me a grant uh, with COVID money. You sure it's a grant, uh, not alone? Cause you know, you made a mad it's a couple grant. times. Okay. Uh, just checking. It's, it's forgivable. Uh, <laughs> I checked, I checked it twice. Uh, we got uh, the PPP money. Uh, we were able to get that. Um, that honestly, 2020, you know, I did way better than I should have uh, given that, you know, the weekend that COVID started, we pulled half the ads down from the site because they were all events ads, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's, it was kind of horrifying, but at the same time, there was a lot of government assistance. What I worry about now going into 2021, when we're still working with this sort of outdated, playbook I, I don't think any more assistance is coming mm-hmm. i think i don't i don't see that on the horizon so and i don't know what that means i really don't um and crystal you switch jobs in the middle of a pandemic right yeah i uh, decided to switch jobs which you know um i guess is what a lot of people are doing now so i guess i'm part of the uh the, the current trend so um <laughs> But it's been a very interesting uh, time. Um, I have learned a lot more than I thought I ever would about, um, I guess, public health. Um, that was not an area I, you know, initially sought out to cover. Um, I've also, you know, just had to sort of adapt to what was happening around us um, as um, as a reporter and as someone who actually had COVID. I was able to sort of um, think back to, um, I guess, I was able to use my experience and sort of understand where our where, uh, people I interviewed were coming from whenever they also shared their uh, mm-hmm. battles with COVID-19 with me. So the other big story, I think here, if we want to bring it, speaking of local and hyper-local, but obviously we made national headlines, even international headlines. I, and you all can agree or disagree, but I think here in Georgia, obviously with um, the convictions of the three men, um, you, you know, who were found guilty of murdering Ahmaud Arbery, a big story. I remember first reading about that and trying to talk to people about it. Nobody, nobody covered it. Got to give props to the reporter down there in Brunswick County. And then the cell phone video. Uh, Crystal, go ahead. I I do want to interject. The the hero of that story is Ahmaud Aubrey's mother. Well, yeah, that's, yes. She, she, she knew something wasn't right with that from the get go. That's true. And she fought and fought 
and fought. And the whole reason that those men were convicted was because of her. I, I will agree. With, I, I, I don't disagree with that. But I want to get back in terms of the coverage of it, because, sure. as you all know, um, between that and then some other, obviously, we can go back to, to last year with George Floyd. Um, but social justice, racial justice, protests, what have you, all of that carried over into 2021 and still being the big stories of nationwide and here in Georgia. Crystal, where do you rank or put the Ahmaud Arbery, the convictions, uh, as being a top news story here in Georgia? I would say that has to be easily the top one of the top three stories in Georgia. If that cell phone video had not came out, um, we probably would still be talking about this in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, the, the three men not going to trial. Um, that video changed everything. And it really showed um, how they, how I guess the the way, it, it pretty much blew um, out of the water any sort of, um, any sort of explanation that they were acting in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no question that they, um, you know, from the video, they pretty much, I guess, pinned him within, I guess, using the vehicles and pretty much tracked him and I guess pretty much ran him down. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who actually, you know, runs, you know, in her neighborhood, um, it, it really speaks to me because anyone, you know, who may not regularly see you, you know, can really um, think of you as someone suspicious, you know, you mm-hmm. know, anyone who, you know, maybe may have had some experiences with, you know, someone breaking into their house or acting suspicious, you know, if you take a break while you're running and you pause on the sidewalk, um, depending on that person's point of view, that could, you know, become a fatal encounter. Mm. Dan, uh, obviously that, do you agree? That's a big yeah, story I too mean, in I Georgia. It, I think it would definitely be one of, if, if not the top story, there's a, there's a small part of me that wants to believe that there's something significant uh, about a, a mostly white jury down in South Georgia uh, resoundingly convicting uh, these men and seeing it clearly as, as murder. Uh, there's a small part of me that, that wants to believe that that's progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's just being naive. Um, but I, I would have to agree. I mean, it, it definitely was something that was talked about nationally. The verdicts were national news. They happened over Thanksgiving. I was at home uh, when the verdicts came out. And, you know, we were all scared. I was scared. I was yep. very scared about what would happen if they were acquitted. Mm-hmm. I was very, very scared nervous. Very nervous. Yeah. I think a lot of folks uh, feel the same way. Uh, Dan, what are you going to be covering in 2022? Uh, there's a, some elections happening next year. <laughs> yeah, we've got county elections. We've got state elections. Uh, I, although Buckhead is not in my coverage area, I do think the city of Buckhead is going to have ramifications throughout the metro region and the state. Um, so I, I definitely will be looking at how that will affect our annexation and cityhood discussions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think those will really be the big things, the elections coming up, you know, obviously we're going to have a pretty uh, fun uh, primary coming up in the Republican governor's race. Uh, so grab your popcorn and um, yeah, those two things. And of course, COVID, I mean, I don't think we're, we're going to get away from it entirely, um, but maybe hopefully we'll, we'll get some more data and be able to, manage it better than we have. Trista, 2022 elections? Um, definitely elections is going to be um, the top priority. All lives will be on Georgia, so we'll have to 
play a part in educating the uh, the country, the, the audience across the country about what's at stake here in Georgia. So we'll also be uh, covering the the upcoming legislative session um, during the election year. So we're not sure what, how that's going to shake out, but I'm pretty sure it will be interesting. Buckhead Cityhood is probably going to be the probably the top local story that we uh, cover, as well as uh, Mayor-elect um, Dickens' first year in mm -hmm. office. And some other smaller things we'll be watching is um, how the Beltline is going to continue to take shape around Metro, around Atlanta, as well as affordable housing, uh, what's coming um, down the pike when it comes to what are some other projects that are, are going to be um, announced or, you know, groundbreaking in the next year or so. Y'all sound like closer look over there at Axios. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I will say this, though. It is nice to not hear that we are the enemy of the people or the enemy of the nation as journalists. Uh, as I tell folks all the time, you know, our job may not, for me, may not always want to be first, but I definitely want to be right and accurate. Right. Um, the tone is different. Yes, no, you think, in terms of um, how people are viewing credible news outlets this year, as opposed to the last four I think so. Um, I've gotten a lot more positive feedback than negative feedback this year, I would say. So I do think um, the tone is changing, I would say. Dan? I, I will say my strategy all along has been to cater to the people who are my customers, which are the people who appreciate news, uh, and do not worry about the people who don't like news in any context. So uh, I, I definitely, it's nice to not have the president of the United States uh, calling us the enemy of the people every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think in general, um, they're just people who are, are never going to be reached, no matter what evidence you put in front of their face. And, you know, we just can't worry about them. That's, that's how I've always operated. And that's how I'm going to continue to operate. If they want to you know, my hope is they'll get uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, and want to join on, join in the, on the party of, of knowing stuff. Uh, but I think as long as we continue to cater to them, uh, it's it's just not going to work. All right. From our content partner, Decaters.com, founder and editor Dan Wisenhut, and from Axios Atlanta, Crystal Dixon, journalist. Thank you both for taking time. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to fellow journalists. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Even though y'all are anti-elf on the shelf. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> and that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. He's the only Sam Whitehead I know. So anybody else out there? I don't know. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are our producers. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as on our podcast. Subscribe wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.